Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener on our private feed where you'll have ad-free episodes and join us in Zoom meetups to meet other listeners of our podcast community. Go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes. I think that's also part of my job. That's what I aspire to as a consultant is to help my clients remember this is really about connection. Yes, this needs to make you money and you need to prove it. But let's also remember what's at the core of this connection. Three, two, one. My name is Spree Devora, host of the Women in Tech show. The show means a lot to me. The reason why I wanted to create the Women in Tech show is I wanted to create a positive piece of content, something where people can listen and say, if she can do it, so can I. Welcome back to the Women in Tech podcast, celebrating women in tech around the world. So excited for our next guest coming at us from Los Angeles. She is a personal friend of mine, an inspiring woman in tech, and just an amazing, amazing human being. Welcome, Jenny. Hello. Spree, thank you so much. This has been a long time coming. It has had been this a long time. Yes. Open to me. Yes. And I am so honored. Also, big fan of the podcast, regularly listen. So this is this is great. It's happening. I've been wanting you on forever, and I just think you are such an empowering human. I cannot wait for all of our listeners to experience the magic that I get to experience with you on a regular basis. Let's get into the basics. Uh, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. I started my own consulting practice a little over two years ago. It's called Jenny Community Consulting Services. I'm in the business of community, and I freaking love. Yeah, you can say that. (laughs) You're so cute. And I freaking love that this is my career path. So essentially, brands come to me when they're ready to create their very first digital customer community. Yeah. And as you know, there's a lot behind that. It sounds very fun and rosy on the outside, but there's a lot of specifics and details things to know, things to understand. There's money involved. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And I want to get into, one, the technicals, because I think that would be really useful. But also, the thing I think I want to hit on first is why community is important. And the reason, I mean, that sounds so basic, but it's not. Because community is usually the first thing that gets cut when companies are doing budget cuts. And it's also the thing that brings in the most revenue. So it's doesn't make any sense of why it's getting cut, but it's because it's not trackable in, I guess, a standard or PowerPoint presentation kind of way. And so let's talk about that and your theory behind it and how you think companies should be looking at it, especially during times of budget cuts. Like, why should they not be cutting community? Lots of reasons. But first, people have to realize community is a long play. It is not a quick fix to anything. It should not be set up super fast, and it is not a growth hack. It is – there's a lot that goes into a successful community. You don't see companies like Salesforce, Zendesk getting rid of their communities because they've been able to prove the revenue behind them. It's not always easy, and those companies also benefit from having large teams, people dedicated to that. When you've got a community team of one and it's on that one person to 
prove the ROI and do everything else that's associated with it, that can be challenging, especially if you've got some some unique use cases for your community. So yeah, community is tough because it could be on the chopping block, but I think when brands learn how to do it right, they do realize the value. And it's interesting because we're hearing a lot about these tech layoffs and how community folks are affected. It's not in the news or anything or being hyped about all the communities that are still around. Yeah. There are a ton. Yeah. Let's establish your background. When did you get involved in community building on this company level? Mm. I took a role when I was living in Chicago in 2009 at CareerBuilder to be their very first social media and community manager. And that was the first time I had a business role like that. And there were facets of that job that I liked and didn't like. The social media side of it was cool, but quite overwhelming. And I thought, I can't, I can't do this forever. But this community piece, this is really neat. This is cool. Uh, and I got to really hone in on my skills on that and focus on that as a niche when I joined Lithium Technologies in 2016, which later became Koros. And from there, I was strictly working on these types of communities, which some call owned communities, brand communities, peer-to-peer communities. Our nomenclature is still a little all over the place in this industry. But that's where I, again, got to hone in on those skills and really focus and expand my skills, working with some of the biggest brands in the world that were clients and still are clients of Koros, Samsung, Sephora, Intuit, Google, Airbnb. Uh, it, it was, yeah, it was such an honor, such a great time working there. And even when out on, when I, I went out on my own, it was important to me that I stayed in, in touch and stayed uh, connected to Koros. And so I, I'm a referral partner of them, but, uh, you know, coming back to it, um, I still kind of pinch myself and can't believe that I get paid to help build communities? Like, that's for real? What? What's that mean to you? Like, why is that you light mm-hmm. up when you say that? And I and it's interesting. I think the term building community means something different to you because you work with these large companies mm-hmm. than it means to me. Both mm-hmm. of us are community builders, but it means something entirely different because I'm on the indie level doing kumbaya events and you're, you know, doing things where you have to prove ROI. To mm-hmm. a it's a totally different type of community building. So what does that term mean to you and, and why does it light you up? Because if you strip away all the business side of it, it's about connection. Mm. And the reason these communities are having success is because their members are connecting in some way with other members or with the brand itself or with the product or with the service. Connection is at the core. Connection is one of my two main life values, according to a little quiz I took from Brene Brown's book. (laughs) I think it was Dare to Lead. Connection and wholeheartedness. Those are my two values. And so no surprise that this is the field I'm in. Uh, But again, I had those moments of really, again, pinching myself and thinking, how grateful am I that I actually get to work in a field where I'm practicing and teaching others about these values yeah, uh, in the business context. And sometimes it gets lost in that because of the business context. Right. I think that's also part of my job. That's what I aspire to as a consultant is to help my clients remember this is really about connection. Yes, this needs to make you money and you need to prove it. But let's also remember what's at the core of this connection. Okay. That part. I mean, for me, I could totally do it because, again, I'm on the indie side. For you, I feel like you telling uh, an executive like the CEO or or CFO, it's about connection. They'll be like, and no. Like, how do you how do you say it in a business way where they really get it? 
I talk the business terms. I talk use cases. I talk goals. I talk success stories about other communities. Um, and I, you have to frame it in that way. Or yeah. yes, I would not have clients and <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't be able to be doing this as a career path. So in my heart, I know it's about connection. Yeah. And every now and then I do get clients who can see it at that level yeah. beyond the business side. But I, ha- I have to open and I have to introduce these things with the business cases to get my foot in the door and to get things moving along and to really help them see the benefit for the business. We have so many amazing women in tech listening around the world, not just Los Angeles, but all over the world. And some of them, you know, right now are trying to make decisions of what software to get for the companies they work uh, with. Other, other women are thinking like, how do I I go off and build a community. I want to be a, bu- a community builder. I don't have a big network. Can I even do it? Let's first start on the company side. What are the initial steps that you can help all of our listeners take to um, make the right decisions in building a successful community for their company? I have a bit of a unique approach on this. Uh, and not to say mine is correct, it's just my take on it. And that is that I don't think you should even be thinking about softwares, especially if you're an enterprise brand, (laughs) until you have a strategic plan in place for Mm -hmm. what you envision for the first year of your community. I mean, would anyone go and build a house without creating a plan or blueprint? Mm -hmm. No. Or you can take a chance, right? (laughs) Who knows what you might end up with? Uh, It does surprise me how many brands might enter into these contracts with uh, some of the community platforms without their plan and already dedicating money, but you don't really understand what you're, you don't have a vision of what you're going to be doing over the next year or two years. And you're committing to this, this spot. So with my clients, it is always the order of, uh, there's like a research phase first, and then there is this strategic planning process. And as we get towards the end of that, that is when I have a good idea of what they are envisioning. Right. And then I can recommend the platforms I think that they should start demoing. That's the that's the process I take. I think you and I have this a lot in common where the biggest question I get is, Esprit, I'm looking to build a community, which which platform should I use? And I'm like, none. Like the platform doesn't build your community. You do. So what are you going to do to build your community? Yes. It's the biggest like illusion because the platform companies market it as though they build the community for you. You literally think in purchasing that subscription to the software that instantaneously your community is going to be thrive and be engaged. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I'm like, good luck with that. (laughs) <laughs> Back when I was a consultant with Koros, the most successful launches that I was part of on on the Koros platform were the ones where the client had already taken time to do that planning. Yeah. And then they selected the software and then they came into the launch project yeah. and they already knew. And if they hadn't taken that time, it was still my responsibility to sit with them and help them yeah. create this strategic plan. But now you're cramp for time, you know, uh, because now it's like, wait, we're in, you got to launch by this date, but we also got to create a strategic plan. And those projects were more likely, not always, but they definitely were more likely to have missed deadlines, have to push off the launch date. And so I saw that the clients that came in with the planning already done, I just saw how much more easily and smoothly those projects were running. And that contributed to when I was creating my business and created my own processes that 
the way I wanted to run things. Yeah, one of the one of the questions that I always ask on whether I'm on a call with someone or giving a talk or whatever it be is, what does success look like to you? Like, what does success look like to you? And if somebody says follower count, I'm like, and what do you want to happen with that follower account? Like, who are those followers? There's so there's so much depth. When did you start to become interested in community? When I was nine. St- <laughs> Seriously? That's when I created my first community. Stop. Okay. Yeah. Dying. Tell me. It was a little neighborhood group. There was a lot of kids that lived yeah. on my street. We yeah. would always come together and do different things. Uh, ride bikes together. Yeah. Build bike ramps together. Yeah. Which were not safe now that I think back on those years. Um, uh, do arts and crafts together. Uh, go in the woods behind my house together and uh, climb trees yeah. together. And for some reason, yeah. I felt like we needed to formalize these gatherings of when we were all together. So I came up with a name. This is you awesome, make me tell you the name right now. Okay. Yeah. The Cool Kids Club. And so when <laughs> oh, we were together. be a part of the Cool Kids Club. You were an honorary member of the Cool Kids Club for <laughs> sure. so cool. Uh, and so anytime oh we were gosh. together, it was like, yeah, the Cool Kids Club. Or, hey, tomorrow for the Cool Kids Club, why don't we do this? And why don't we ride our bikes, you know, over here or whatever. Anyways, and everyone else just went along with it. So, sure, whatever. Yeah. It didn't change the dynamic of what we were already doing, right. playing together. But for some reason, I felt this need to, like, define our camaraderie, yeah. I guess. And, yeah, and my siblings made fun of me for it. My sister made so much fun of me. She's probably the only one who had comments about it, unless other people said things that I didn't yeah. know. Um, and now I, I say to her, I'm like, yeah, well, look, it launched my career. Like, <laughs> I've just... Ever since I've How always been How long did int- the Cool Kids Club last? Uh, for as long as we were living in that neighborhood, which was about four more years, four or five more years. I did not expect that kind of answer <laughs> to come out. I like 0%, 0% expected that kind of, that's, that's wild. When you come on this podcast and you genuinely light up, like really light up, I mean, this is stemming back. It's just crazy. Like, this is your purpose in life, what you're meant to do. Yeah, absolutely. I know people can't see right now, but I'm, I know I'm grinning. Yeah, you're glowing. Yeah, I'm absolutely grinning. It's, it's so neat to look back and think like, oh, I was given that gift of getting kind of that first glimpse of what my purpose would be at that age with that. And even after that, as I got into middle school and high school, I was a compulsive joiner sometimes. I even think I still am. (laughs) I'm just to have come better at uh, setting my boundaries of joiner. <laughs> yeah. I can even, relate. Yes, even into college. Yeah. I really thrived on being in group settings and being in clubs and yeah. the extrovert and, in me just got my energy yeah. off of that. And th- so there was something to, and those years being part of a lot of communities Yeah, in high school, I started to take on leadership roles of those communities. Yeah. That was really fun. I was like, this is amazing. This is ex- so exciting. And didn't even realize that this could be a career path, kind of fell into it uh, when I started seeing social media being used for business purposes. Yeah. And then as a branch of that, seeing these dedicated communities being built for business purposes. Right. I'm so still like on that nine year. I'm now I'm like just deeply curious about what everything else that's going to come out of your mouth. What's a huge obstacle you've successfully overcome in your career community building and how did you overcome it? I'll talk about maybe one of the more recent ones yeah. in starting my own consulting practice. Yeah. 
there's a lot more emotions involved (laughs) than anyone gives you a heads up on. Oh, totally. So regulating my emotions and mental health around my business. Yeah. Like that. uh, How's no one ever said that? Yes. There in the first year, especially not that I'm that far in, I'm only about two and a half years. And so, um, but in the first year it was particularly difficult because as I'm getting things started and I'm fighting the imposter syndrome feelings, I would get in my head about things in such a way that I would pause moving forward on writing a certain Substack article or creating some uh, slide deck of some sort. And I would pause and I would sit there and I kind of literally twiddle my thumbs and turn in my chair and sit at my desk. And then next thing I knew, I would look at the time and hours had gone by while I'm sitting there debating, should I really be working on this? Should I say, who am I to say this? And then I was realizing... I'm literally losing time on my business, productivity time, yes. because I'm in my head Ugh. so much about things that aren't even real that I'm I'm putting totally. there. And so I had some days like that. And I remember when I got past them thinking, whoa, no one told me about that part of working for yourself. Yeah. And not to say I don't still have days like that, but I'm getting better at managing yeah. When those feelings start to come up, therapy is gold. I recommend it for everyone. Same. I'm in therapy, and, love. Yeah. Uh, and it, if it wasn't for those therapy sessions, I might still be kind of wallowing in yeah. that. But in the in my sessions with my therapist, I got to the core of what that was. And it's not something I've solved or figured out. Right. I think I've just improved on how I handle it. And I'm still working on, you know, addressing it yeah. and what, why that happens for me. No one tells you those things. No. Right now I'm reading a, a book. Maybe you've even read it before, Obstacles the Way by Ryan Holiday. Yes. And I'm finding it really empowering how much perception and perspective has has power over how we see things, but we are in complete con- – well, for the most part, complete control over perspective. So if we just alter our perspective, it changes everything. Yeah. I can completely relate to what you're saying. As you're building your business, like what is your dream for what you're building? Like where do you where do you see yourself in five years? No, I hate that shit. But like what is your dream? What are you working toward? And and please, I welcome you to answer however authentically non-traditional you want to answer that. My dream right now has been kind of basic. Just to make a functioning business, yeah. <laughs> make sure this is working and that I'm bringing satisfaction to my clients. Um, I'm not sure where I want to go with it yet, except that it feels really great right now. Yeah. I want to continue it. I want to do more to help the community industry. Yeah. I don't know what that looks like yet, but I know I want to do more than what I'm doing right now. Yeah. But if I can do anything to help further this industry and let people know also that this is an available career path to them, I'm very passionate about that. Yeah. And Again, I don't know what steps I'm going to take towards actually furthering that. I also, in the future, I want to have a focus on communities and events associated with communities. I'm not sure what that is yet, whether it's going to be a program or a cohort or an offering. But I think that events that happen in communities can be spun up so fast that a lot of things are missed. Yeah, And so I think that Taking a good look at the intentionality behind events and every detail of them totally is something that I would love to go through that process with people and help maybe open their eyes to 
all of the smallest details and how that could affect a wide array of people within totally. their events. We're talking inclusivity, uh, accessibility, um, even just the basics of communication. Mm-hmm. I really love Priya Parker's approach in her book, how she says – The art of the gathering. Yes, yes. And – It's something along the lines of that an event starts when the first piece of communication goes out. And I hadn't thought of it that way until I read her book. And now I take a lot more time Mm. (laughs) when I'm reviewing that first piece of communication. I want to set the tone. I want to set the right expectations. And I'm getting my practice in on this with just like dinner parties that my partner and I throw. And I am going to try to figure out a way to move it into my business. It's My business right now is not so focused on events, but it is an area that brings me a lot of joy to help create and help people with uh, yeah. events. So I'd, I'd love to see a new level of like mindfulness and intentionality brought to community events. And we met at an event, plus you have your your meetup group, which I want to talk about. The event that we met at, that was like that was such a transformative experience in the years. I didn't know that in the moment, but the years to came, you had such to come, you had such an influence and in all these other things that happened in my life. Um tell tell us a little bit about that event back then and um and then how you stemmed up community pros of LA. So we met at the unconference. Is that the event you're talking about? Yeah. It was a community pros um, unconference. It didn't even have like an official title. It was kind of this little underground gathering, right? I think there were 12 people who showed up and it was February of 2022. Uh, We were just starting to feel comfortable in here in LA about actually gathering again. And that was incredible. Uh, That was the first meetup of community folks here in LA that I had ever been to organized by our friend, Danielle uh, Maviel. And yeah, to finally meet you. And I knew your name and I knew about We Are LA Tech. And I was like, here she is in the flesh. I was fangirling. Stop. Yes. And then when you were like, let's (laughs) hang out, let's talk more. Oh my God. Yes. I mean, all my community dreams coming true. Oh my Um, gosh. Yeah. It was, that was a really special environment. And I loved the structure or non-structure of an unconference because I feel like it let a lot of people there really, really focus on what was top of mind for them, bring their best selves to the conversations, didn't feel like anyone needed to feel like they were performing or anything, like maybe with a traditional conference of some sort. So that was, that was special. It meant a lot to me. And yes, it did kick off, you know, our, our friendship. So I'm super grateful for that. Uh, And since then you have been a big part of community efforts here in LA, which have now formalized in the group community pros of Los Angeles. I'm so thrilled to be a co-founder of that group. Uh, And my other two co-founders and I, we wanted to create a place where, community pros could come together and whether you work as a community pro online or just in person, but part of your job is to bring people together. Then this is a space. This is a a group for you. We also realized that living in LA, we need to make it worth the while if people are going to come from across town for these things. So we've structured them as co-working days where you could come for either the entire day or even just a piece of the day if that works better. You can ju- jump in for the lunch or the happy hour if that suits you more. Again, come for the en- entire day. And we've been doing a couple of those since the beginning of this year. And really, really happy with how the group has started. I'm feeling a lot closer and connected to local community pros in LA. And if anyone's listening to this, you know, please look us up online and on Instagram. And we hope you can join us for a future co-working day. Yeah, we'll include the link in the show notes too. I've gone to community pro events. And it's really, it's a good reminder that when you're creating community, 
you really want to make sure a lot of people are like, well, I want everyone, but it's actually the more valuable your community is, the more like-minded people are. Mm -hmm. So knowing that I could go to Jenny's events and it's professionals in the community building space. If somebody comes to a, we are LA tech event, it's people in tech working in Los Angeles tech and we are LA tech is not just a founders club. It's just people working in tech. And so you want to understand who are the people that make up your community. Don't try to be, in my opinion, don't be everything to everyone because then you'll be nothing to, to what is it, nothing to no one or something like that? I know what you're yeah, saying. Yeah. And that's really crucial and critical to any sort of group or community you are creating. When you have your customer base and you're creating a community for your customer base, how do you guide a company to start to formulate the ethos of their community? It's a long process. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's part of the phases I mentioned, the approach that I take. First, we spend time in the research phase. And this is where I teach my clients how to go out and research the idea of this community and maybe validate it. But also, I've had situations before where the research basically said people didn't want a community. That's, yeah. That was not the path that they should go down. I spend time with them on, on that part. That is so enlightening. A lot of times... The steps involved in the research phase are things that a brand hasn't encountered or, or done and or implemented in a long time, right? So even just going through those steps that I'm recommending, there's one-on-one -on -one interviews I recommend with their customer base. There are general surveys that go out. There's some research into similar or competing communities, right? And a lot of times that whole phase will benefit not just the community efforts, but will benefit other areas of their business as well. Then when you start on the strategic planning phase, I always encourage them to re-reference and utilize what they learned from the research phase into the second phase. And that's when I kind of start to see a lot about the internal culture. And we have sessions dedicated on the best ways to reflect the culture of the company. Should the community have a name? Is there Are there some fun inside yeah. jokes amongst your client base? And if there aren't, like, don't force any of those things. I've actually seen those things come to fruition once a community started and then some inside community jokes were made and so forth. But um, yeah, I get most of my insight into that, like when we get into that second phase, and this can be a really beautiful thing. It can also open my eyes to realizing, oh, wow, um, certain brands don't know who they are totally. <laughs> on the inside. 100%. Yeah. And you said something really clutch, which is sometimes you discover that they don't need the software at all, that they, the, the customers don't want a community. Sometimes when I'm talking about community with someone else, I'll be like, the community is in the Zoom chat, actually. Like, that's where people experience their vibe of community. When you do the Zoom meetings, it's in the chat. It doesn't have to be somewhere else. So I think it's so um, – I agree with you. It's so important to do the research and not try to force something in a way where it's not what people – the whole point of community is to serve people. So if you're trying to force someone to engage, why aren't they posting? How do I get them to post? Like or something. It's like Jenny gave me the st sticker when she got here, and I, I love it because I empathize with it so much. And it says uh, community rage, which is something that we think about. What are some of the difficult pain points us as community builders – experience and how do we how do we get past those pain points? I could tell you right now it's over delivery and exhaustion <laughs> mm -hmm. and burnout. Yeah. High expectations often put on one person's shoulders, mm. even for some of the biggest brands out there. Yeah. They're like one person can do all of the community stuff. Yeah. Yeah. 
there is a misconception that this field of community is kind of a new area. And actually, digital communities have been around for decades. I think it's only become mainstream. Uh, mm. And that more people are aware of it. Yeah. But I also think that as more businesses invest in it and become aware of it, they will see over time the benefits of dedicating a number of people to these efforts. Yeah. And I just think we're too young in that right now. Yeah. Um, but the businesses that are, I see them thriving. I see their communities thriving. Yeah. Not everyone's at those points yet to be able to make the investment in community like they they are. So I think that's one of the big challenges. And I feel for all of the community teams of one out there. They're the VP of community. They're the director. They're the manager, the operations person, events person, the moderator, all in one. And we need to do better in our field to serve those people, give them an outlet, and also be able to prove to the businesses that one person usually cannot shoulder all of this. And that's not fair. And what they're doing right now is there's the people who do this who have a love for it, and that's why they're in it, and that's why they're giving it that all. It it worries me about the very skilled community professionals that are out there. Will they stay in this field if they get burnt out, they get too exhausted? We might lose them to another yeah. area. They might uh, pivot and go to another field. Another I slept path. for a year once. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, I can't do this anymore. I think a lot of people make the mistake of thinking a community builder is replacement for a marketing manager or a social media manager. And these are completely different roles. I heard this term this morning. I actually don't remember the term exactly, but it was something like dark analytics or oh. or something like that. Yeah. And I'm like, what's that? And it's the analytics that ha- happen that you don't know that are happening, like in the DMs you know, direct messages in the event meeting, in the podcast listener, in the, like, there's Mm. all these analytics that are helping your company succeed that can't be tracked. And the marketing managers and executives are discarding those because they're not trackable when they're having a huge impact in your company. And actually they're having the most effective impact because it's some of those personal relationships and so I think it's really interesting to remember that the job and the 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 proof of performance from a traditional marketing campaign is entirely different than how to evaluate a successful community building campaign. I love that. And dark analytics, I've never heard of it referred to that, but it makes so much sense. What immediately comes to mind when you said that was sentiment. Even, mm-hmm. even tracking or analyzing sentiment. Now, there are some platforms that say they have the capability to do that today. And from what I've seen, it is never truly Mm -hmm. accurate. So then what needs to happen to properly track it? Manually, someone has to go in and actually mark uh, classifying certain. Yes, that is not feasible. That is not sustainable. So all these brands and all these communities, you know, are mostly wandering around wondering what the overall sentiment is. And without doing the right surveying or getting qualitative feedback, they don't know. Yeah. yeah. So do how do we really know if these communities are effective or, or working or not? It's still, it's tough. It's tough to prove. It's going to continue to be tough to prove because it's never just going to be a very obvious, like I said quick earlier, quick fix to community. And it's also not going to be easy to understand with a snap, it, it, it has this worked or has this not? It's always yeah. going to be a deeper conversation than that. Who do you look up to when you're looking to evolve your skills and really plug into the advanced in the know things? Who Who is it that you follow that you plug into? About community or just in general? 
What we could do in general, too, but about community. But now I'm curious in general. <laughs> um, okay. Well, starting with community, Carrie Melissa Jones. Ooh, she don't has, know her. She has been around a long time in this. She's one of the original founders of uh, CMX, and she's also written a fantastic book on this. And, I mean, she just has a wonderful company dedicated towards helping community builders. And I really love her approach. I think everything she does is done with mindfulness and intentionality. I know you've heard me say those things yeah. a few times, but those are important to me, even in the working world. Totally. And, and tell us what CMX is as well. Uh, yes. Uh, CMX is a membership organization, a community for community people. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, there's a couple different ones of those out there now. Uh, and CMX has been really popular, I'd say, in, on the West Coast for a number of years. And uh, once a year has an annual conference that brings together community professionals. So always mm. great to see my friends, colleagues and clients at that. And I believe the sponsor of your last community meetup, they have community resource too. What was that? That's called the Community Roundtable, another amazing membership organization for community professionals based out of the Boston area. And they were essential in the early days of my community journey when I was at Career Builder. They allowed me to be the local Chicago host for some of their lunches and happy hours nice. and so forth. And in return, I got a complimentary membership, So, which was so critical at that time for me and developing as a community yeah. professional yeah. to have access to the research that they did and be part of their membership during those years. I can really credit that with elevating me and taking me to the next level to be able to get the job at Lithium Technologies right. to become a consultant in this area. Yeah. So there's those are some great organizations. Another uh, favorite of mine that is new and already holds a very special place in my heart is called the Community Community. <laughs> It is on Slack. It is for senior community professionals. And you do have to apply to be part of it and prove that you've got the number of years of experience that they're right. looking for in this area. Uh, and again, the individuals running that I just think are doing an incredible job at being mindful and being inclusive and respectful and the things they're offering their membership, I'm not finding in other communities yet. The value and level of the conversations happening there are also, it's, it's clear that it's senior people. And it's really nice to see some of those more intermediate conversations about some, some, some deeper subjects. And is this last one, the community community, is that one free or is it paid? It's free right now. I keep telling uh, one of Nikki, one of the or the founder, yeah, like, that she should pay. Uh, she, no, she should charge for yeah. the future, yeah. 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 Uh, because, well, you know, I will say yes. this. Yes, I definitely should get paid for your time. Yeah. So, community <laughs> builders, I think, as a culture of people, we're empathetic, typically, extremely heart driven. Have a really, I think, culturally, have a really hard time charging because we want to just love so much and give all of ourselves away to make everybody else happy. And we usually forget that we need to be okay too when it should be the primary thing because if we're not okay, we can't serve. But we typically as a, as a community of people forget that. Um, would you agree or disagree? Absolutely. Yeah. There's an empathetic side to community builders that I haven't seen observed with other fields in this way. Yeah. So again, I think it's because people doing this have a level of passion and they believed in the connectedness side of it. Um, it's such a fascinating field. It's really neat to see how it's evolving. And I can't wait to see where it is 10 years from now. Like we literally as community builders transform. It sounds so like dorky the way I'm saying, but transform people's lives. Like the connections we make, the, 
the safety, I'd say the safety and vulnerability that we facilitate for people to connect and have the conversations that they need to have in the time that they need to have them genuinely accelerates people's career, friendships, relationships, confidence, informational data that they may need, like uh, what's the best software I should use right now, whatever, like in any category. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's just we really do incredibly important work. A lot of our community work, Cam Kashani, who – You may know she created Coloft in Los Angeles, which was one of um, initial co-working spaces. And her community building efforts completely helped make Los Angeles one of the top tech cities in the world. Without Kim Kashani's community building, Los Angeles wouldn't, wouldn't literally a whole city wouldn't have grown at the rate for technology had she not, you know, had meaningful conversations on Twitter frequently. (laughs) That is a fantastic example. I think even the work that you do and the experiences that you enable with We Are LA Tech must create such lasting memories and moments for people about how they associate their time in LA or living in LA. You're a moment maker. A moment maker. That's (laughs) cool. Yeah, people have met their uh, future spouses, gotten married and had babies. Um, People have raised money. Um, I'm really proud of it. Um, one of our mutual friends said that I completely altered her career and network. And I'm just really like, it's so mm. wild. But yeah, At, when you were talking about the details of an event, I really resonated with that because it does, it takes um, a lot of thoughtful details from, I, I consider myself and Jenny, you know this already, an artist of human connection. And I know you're like, you need to put that on all your bios. And I mm-hmm. did because you said that. It really is artwork. I think about sight. What is it? Sight, taste, smell, sound, like all the things when I'm putting together an experience and to make sure that, um, you know, the Maya Angelou quote, people remember not what you say, but how you make them feel. So I asked myself with every experience, how do I want everyone to feel? Like what it, what is happening for them? What is the feeling that they're going to remember? And um, it takes a lot of work. And when I meet people who end up doing community events later who like admired our work, right? And they're like, oh, I'm going to go put – they're like, oh, it was a lot of work. I'm like, yeah, it is. They're like, I had no idea. I'm like, yeah, I There's a mental and emotional toll to being the person who creates this space and this gathering of people, whether it's a community or just – it's not a community, but just an an event where people are coming together. And I do see that you put your all into your events. I can see how you address the five senses of things and uh, are concerned about the feelings people are going to leave with. It's very evident, and I – think that's one of the reasons I enjoy your events so much oh, as well. Thank you. Uh, I mean, every community builder can learn from that. If you're bringing people together in any way, that is a beautiful approach yeah. to it. It doesn't always need to be a business approach. That's, that's, that's a lovely approach to it. Well, since we're talking about business and love, to kind of bring this conversation with all these amazing women listening to us, kind of like full circle and vulnerable to like really serve them. I know – you you and I have had conversations. We had a conversation right before recording where I was like struggling with my pricing. You've had a conversation with me in the past like, okay, how do I set up the client stuff? If you're comfortable, can we talk about money and self-worth and getting paid our worth? Oh, 
Let's do it. Can we do this? Yes. Everyone turn it up a little louder right yeah. now. Right? Where, okay. Right, ladies? Where, should, where do you think we should start with this? Because there's so much. I could go to every which way, but I want to make sure I'm not uh, overstepping any of your boundaries because I know this is a tough conversation even to have and be open with, so I want to be careful. We can start with where this comes from, why, I mean, for ourselves or yeah. for women in general. It's going to be a, probably different for everyone, their story of like why your self-worth is at whatever level it is at. Yeah. Do you want to go? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I, without getting into it, because I don't want to like uh, hijack an interview, like my own thing. I had a lot of, I've overcome a lot of things in my life. Part of the collateral, I don't want to say damage because I want to say that I'm an evolving person and it's not permanent, you know, but part of the collateral effect, the collateral effect of some of the life experiences I've had, I have very low self-worth. I really struggle self-worth. As I've been working on self-love for two years now, I actually prioritize it. I talk to Marcy every single day through a company called Shelpful, and Marcy checks in on me, and she constantly, like, we evaluate my emotions and where I'm at and my energy levels, et cetera. And literally, our the goal is guide Esprit to love herself. <laughs> so this is, uh, I think we're about a year and a half in of this self-love journey. As I've been improving my self-worth, my self-love, I can directly see a correlation <laughs> between both, Jenny, the guys that I'm attracted to and what I charge. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I just, I picture this line graph and both of those lines going up and to the right together. Right. Parallel. <laughs> totally. <laughs> it's like, I'm like, how in the world <laughs> did like six or seven years ago, I charge so little or how did that guy make his way into my heart? <laughs> like that is preposterous. Why would I ever allow my attention to go to someone who doesn't want to invest into me or doesn't respect me or is cruel to me. Like that is crazy, but it is not crazy if I don't really think a lot of myself. It's like you're just allowing things to happen. The whole money piece, I can see a direct correlation. The more I love myself, the more I find the more I find it preposterous to charge below my self-worth. Like I'm just like that's crazy for me not to be okay or that's crazy to, for me not to be okay to that extent. So it's really – and I'm still – Jenny and I have had conversations, you know, in private. I'm probably like too many times I'm like bombarding her with my, you know, community-building emotions. But like even before this, I was like, oh, I think I'm going to lower the prices on something. She's like, you do not lower the <laughs> prices. And I'm like, no. And and so to get, to get an idea is I raise the prices. So the prices are higher than they've been in the past, which is a great thing. Even the prices I want to lower it to are significantly higher than this. So we're good there. We're going in the right direction. But at the new high price, which is still lower than everybody else, but at the new high price, I'm like, I don't know if I can handle it. I don't know if I could hang over here. And all my all my friends are like, work through the discomfort. You got this. Mm -hmm. And it's like my self-worth issues pushing back. Also, I'm concerned. I'm like, what if it's not my self-worth issues? What if I'm not being a good community builder because I'm like, you know, and I'm having this, um, yeah, I'm having a lot of frustration. So all this to say, whatever you're experiencing right now, you the listener, like it's normal. It's mm -hmm. it's a it's a it's a battle, it's a journey. And mm -hmm. so when you created your own, when you went off, you're working for all these big established companies and you're like, I'm gonna do my own thing. 
how did you set your rates and your prices and work through your nerves? <laughs> uh, I've adjusted my prices a number of times, but I've also been told that that's common when you're starting your own yeah. business, going out on your own. Uh, and in the beginning, I, I knew what my former employer charged for my services per hour. And I thought, oh, okay, well, people were already paying that. They were just paying the company. What if I start there? Uh, so that was kind of my starting point. Yeah. And don't know if that was the right way to go, but, you know, that that's in my mind thought, yeah, that's great. Yeah. I'll just go there. You know, a number of years ago, I got very curious about where all these issues were stemming from. Yeah. So thanks to some very deep therapy, I found I was able to dig up what I think is the start of my self-worth issues. Mm. So let me take you back to when I was three. Wow. <laughs> I know. I still can't believe that I kind of came to this breakthrough in therapy. Um, so I was three and, you know, up to that point, I'm, I'm the oldest of my siblings. So I hadn't had any siblings yet was far as I can remember, like, it, and how much do we remember, right? But yeah. when I was kind of taken back in this therapy session, those were great years. And I was enjoying yeah. life with mom and dad and getting all the attention and all the love. And then my sister was born, who is my best friend today. Yeah. So it's funny for me to think back on this. And uh, that little toddler brain of mine um, didn't understand all of a yeah. sudden, what is this thing? Everyone keeps saying, don't you love your sister? And like, oh, you have a sister. I couldn't comprehend that. I didn't know what that meant at yeah, that time. Yeah. All I knew was there was another part of the person in the family now, not even a person, a very tiny person. Yeah. And, and, uh, and I, I didn't understand it. Yeah. And I also started to feel like, oh, mom and dad's attention is not as th there anymore. Yeah. There, it means their love is not there anymore. Mm. And the story I made up, the belief I made up in that moment at three years old was that it was all because I wasn't enough. <gasps> Crazy, right? Crazy. And now, my heart, of course, I'm thank so, you for sharing this. I'm so grateful I have a sister. Yeah. And, you know, went to have, on to have a brother. And, yeah. Uh, but, when I got real honest with myself yeah. about what could have been going through my head, that was it. I it's something I told myself. Yeah, it, it, I made it up for myself, but it is a belief I've had since I was three. So the work that I've been doing in self worth has been mm. trying to dismantle beliefs I've had since I was three years old. Wow! But it was a huge breakthrough to even get to that point of realizing that, and also realizing. It was nothing bad that happened to me, thank goodness, because I know that's yeah. not always the case. You know, yeah. it was nothing traumatizing. It was just something I surmised yeah. in my little toddler brain at the time. Totally. And went with it and, and just believed that until I got to whatever age and started questioning, should I be believing that anymore? Mm. And the reason why I wanted to bring this up, and thank you so much for being open and vulnerable, is because I noticed in our community of community builders – we typically give everything away, don't charge, all these things. And I and we work so hard and give so much of our like so we invest every like ounce of our body and soul and spirit and energy and resource into other people. Like it is we're worth, we deserve, we're worth being sustained like yes. it's there's nothing wrong with us community builders being sustained and it's like it's funny because I've seen 
some community builders, when they go to charge, even some like low price, like 30 bucks or whatever for, for their product, um, there's all this pushback. You should be giving it away. Like there's societal pushback with community builders that it is expected for community builders to just give everything away for free as though they're all trust funds with a money tree in the backyard. It's like, it's wild. Like, no, if you're getting a lot of value, pay for it. We're not fundraising over here or anything like that. So, and even if someone is like, I know it sound funny, but even if someone is a trust fund person, they should be paid too if they're working hard. You know, nobody should be expected to give everything away for free as though someone else is entitled to someone's time. Mm. And it's heartbreaking for me. And the more I go through my self-love journey and I see my peers making the same choices that I've made throughout my career, I wish all of us as a community would be like, no more. We all deserve to be valued for our work, and we all deserve to live a sustainable life, and there's no shame in that. And if anybody out there is trying to shame us, they can just go away, and we will mute them, <laughs> you know, like on social media. Um, yeah. I hope we do get to that point where people are collectively saying that. Uh, until we do, though, it's important that we share our story yes. of what we have struggled yes. with, what we continue to struggle with, yes. so that everyone listening, other people who might feel like we have felt uh, around yeah. this, realize they're not alone. Totally. And they're very valid. They're validated in their feelings. 100%. What's the best piece of advice you'd say you've gotten that's helped you accelerate your career? I don't remember who said this to me, but it was from my days living in Tampa. You know the saying, like, it's all about who you know? Yeah. Whatever. Uh, it's not that saying. This person said to me, no, it's all about who knows you. Oh shit! Yeah, yeah. Wow. And uh, I haven't I, even heard that. But and it's not like a fame line. It's like a no. yeah. It's a I get it. And wow. that's hearing that helped me realize like no one else is going to go out and promote my work and my name and what I can bring to the table yeah. except me. Yeah. So whether it's with my uh, with my consulting practice or it's something I'm volunteering with, like I have to be the one to go out there and and promote me. And mm. I have to hype, I have to be my own hype person. Yeah. Which is very hard for yeah. anyone struggling with self-love. Totally. Uh, but also very good to do, mm -hmm. very good practice. Yeah. And so that you know, I am top of mind for people when they need community strategy help in their business. Yeah. yeah. You know, and or they might want to sit down and create a series of awesome community events. Who are they going to turn to? Yeah. You know, it's all about who knows me and my name and who's going to get that out there. Yeah. I can't depend on anybody else to do that except me. 100%. Jenny, thank you so much for hanging out the Women in Tech podcast. Where can people connect with you? My website is literally jenny.community. It's perfect. <laughs> Just type it into any browser. Perfect. To connect and collaborate with more amazing women in tech around the world, remember go to womenintechvip.com. That's womenintechvip.com. Say hello on social, at Women in Tech Show, on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. I will see you, talk to you, all the things in the next episode. Bye. Bye. Thank you, Esprit. Thank you, Women in Tech. Hey, this is Jenny Weigel of jenny.community consulting services. Brands come to me when they are ready to create their first digital customer community. I'm based in Los Angeles, and you're listening to Women in Tech. 
The Women in Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by Corey Jennings. Production and voiceover by Adam Carroll. And music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The Women in Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production. Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener, go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes.